you know, it's a good time of year, isn't it? When you see the sun start to shine again and uh, things start to bloom and blossom and, you know, to see uh, the lovely flowers out there starting to come up again. But we're going through some funny weather where we're having it up and down. How do you not like this weather? One day it's raining, you walk out in the morning, it's freezing cold. And then in about the afternoon, you're like, oh, I'm sweating in this jumper. I got to get this jumper off, right? Yeah, that's the weather you're having at the moment. But that's spring. And um, that's where we are right now. But you know, spring is also a time in the life of the church. Because there are seasons in the life of a church. Seasons that God does different things. And I believe that our church is in a time of spring where God is preparing us for things that are yet to come. And um, I want to encourage you, be willing to embrace the, sp the spring season that God has for your life. Now, I'm not a gardener, but I do make some attempts, right? So um, a couple of uh, months back, just before winter, I looked at my lavender trees or bushes, and they were in a pathetic state. They're about 10 years old, but they've grown woody. Um, and I thought, time's up. So I took the bold step of pulling them out, billing them, and I thought, I'm going to get on the quest of planting again. And um, I didn't know, but I hear it from authoritative sources in this church that you can actually speak to your plants and they respond. Do people agree with that? What, what's, what, what's the consensus? Yes, people agree, right? Now, I know that I speak to my dog and my wife looks at me and thinks I'm crazy, right? She says, what is wrong with you? You're speaking to the dog, right? So I don't think I'm going to attempt to speak to the plants because she might have me committed. Because if, if she sees that it's now graduated from the dog to the plants, she wonder where else it's going to go. But I, I hear from authoritative sources that you can speak to your plants. I didn't know that, so I uprooted all my plants. I put them in the bin. And I went on the quest of new plants, and I couldn't find them. I uh, actually commissioned my life group, wonderful people in my life group, whether they would help me find new lavender plants, because there's this particular variety that grows in my soil and lasts. Everything else in my soil dies, right? You put it down. They say you can't kill a yakka. I've killed plenty of yakkas, right? You just put it in the soil, it dies. So... People started sending me texts, we've seen it here, we've seen it there, we've seen this, they've sent you photographs, but it's not the correct variety. I was looking for this particular variety, and finally somebody told me, Garden World has it. And I went there, I bought it, I took it home, I took everything they had on the shelf, which was the last 17 plants, and I've not seen it anymore, and it worked exactly for my garden where I had it. But it's beautiful to see that as you nurture that plant, I'm not very good at that either, right? But I, I, I dug it up, I uh, prepared the soil, I put the plants in, and to see these plants that were little tiny plants suddenly sprout out beautiful lavender buds. It was exciting. Of course, God stepped in, and some of the weather you're having today is God's blessing on me, because that plant would never have got watered otherwise, but God has taken over and the plant is established. So you, I'll carry some of the blame. But you see, seasons, seasons, seasons where we need to nurture, seasons where we need to water, seasons where we need to do something in order 
to reap something. Seasons where we have to do something in order to reap something. And um, I want to look today at um, some scriptures. And we're going to look particularly at a scripture that um, the Apostle Paul speaks to the church in Galatia. And um, he, I, I, I wonder whether he, what situation he was in when he wrote this passage. Because you see, Paul used analogies from things around. When he was in prison, he saw the Roman guard and he wrote to us, put on the full armor of God. He was inspired by what he saw. And I wonder, they say that he was probably in Antioch when he wrote this. His heart was moved for the people in this location of Galatia. Galatia is not a specific place. It, is, it encompasses a number of countries, right? And regions where Paul had been ministering. But his heart was burdened. And he was looking at these churches. He saw that God had great potential for them. That God was going to do amazing things. But they had to embrace a season. And he starts to speak with the analogy of sowing. And uh, you find this through the book of Galatians. You find that just the previous chapter to this in Galatians chapter 5, he's talking of the fruit of the Spirit, once again sowing, right? And he talks of the fruit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, mercy, right? And he's talking of that. But now he's being very specific. And these three verses, I just feel that God is speaking to us today. So let's put on the mindset of Paul who's looking out, maybe he sees a farmer sowing his seed and he's drawing inspiration from that. And he's saying, I see something that the church can connect with in this. So he's talking of sowing. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will receive a harvest if we do not give up. And um, Paul is speaking a very firm our decisive, straight, cut-to-the-heart message, but he's speaking a word with great love and with great concern. You see, he saw the potential of what was to come, and he saw that they could miss the bus. And I believe that God is speaking to the church today. So let's dissect this. Let's go back and take a few parts of this scripture and let's start to let God minister to our hearts. You see, so often uh, we get caught up in this area of deception. I put a little thought there that, um, you know, deception is the enemy's weapon of choice. Deception is the enemy's weapon of choice. 
You see, sometimes we are so deceived by something that we don't even know that we are, you know, caught up in it. And I was reading just yesterday, I think, of a person who got caught up in a scam. They were buying uh, a BMW for $139,000. And um, the person did the transfers to the account. And they did it in three batches or four batches or whatever. And um, at the end of the transfers, uh, they contacted the agent and said, we finished all the transfers. And um, they get this email shortly after saying, we haven't received your money. And the person starts to panic. They go around, they check, and they find that they've got caught up in a scam where their email has been intercepted. Somebody's taken the invoice from BMW. They've changed the bank details to their own bank details, and they've sent the invoice across. So the person, without even knowing that they were being deceived, was caught up in the scam. Today we have lots of scams, isn't it? Right? How many say you got a scam email in the last week in your phone? Yes? No? No? Okay. Oh, they come all the time, isn't it? Sometimes you've got um, packages coming from places that you don't even do any business with, right? That if you don't uh, collect it today, it will be gone. So click the link, yeah? Um, you know, you've got, these are the exciting ones, isn't it? You've got $200,000 waiting for you, right? Click the link and put in your details, yeah? so that we can pass it on to you, right? I won't ask how many people actually responded to those sort of e emails. I know a few who have, and a few who have, uh, you know, gone on a path that's not been very great. The outcomes have not been good. But you see, that's the number one strategy of the devil, is deception. And Paul calls it out. He says, guys, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. And you know, very often, if I were to ask you today, you'd say, I don't mock God. I don't look up and say, God, I don't believe in you. I don't believe that you're going to do this to me or that to me if I don't do this, if I don't do that. But we behave in a way that we don't believe that God is looking. Yep. We behave in a way so often that we don't believe that God is looking. We believe that God is a God of grace and mercy. He's up there. He's got 8 billion people on this planet. I'm just one of them, right? So God, as you look, maybe you're seeing the 7 billion, blah, 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 blah. I won't even try to go there, right? All the numbers, and you miss the one. So I'm comfortable here because nothing happens to me when I do this. And maybe the people in Galatia were going down the path where they were going down the path of this is the time of God's grace. So I can push the boundary and I can push the boundary and if God doesn't do something, I push the boundary a little further. And if he doesn't do something, I put a little further and suddenly find that deception has come so well that from where we are, we have gone so far out and we didn't even know about it. Are you with me this morning?
yet. Let's see what the Bible says about God being connected. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. You see, God is looking to and fro upon the face of the earth. He looks at you, he looks at me, and he sees us. He has his eye upon us. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. God is with us. He is with us. When we go to the places we go, when we go, do the things we do, he is with us. Let's look at another one. Peter 3 and verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. And friends, the reason I'm giving you these scriptures is because I want to awaken us that maybe deception has crept into our lives. That maybe deception has crept in that we don't even understand that we have moved from the place of God's presence. That we forget that he is with us, that he sees us, that he knows us, that he knows every thought that is in my mind before I think it. Yeah? And sometimes that's a scary thought that God is in my mind because of all the thoughts that are also there with him. And I got to then bring my mind and I need to put my mind under the blood of Jesus. And I said, Jesus, you take control of my mind. Take control of the thoughts. Take control of the actions. Take control of the words that I speak. You see, we have to be mindful of God's presence. That's why he says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. You can't plant mangoes and expect bananas. Yeah? You can't plant mango seeds and expect bananas. But many of us might be doing that right now. Yeah? We might be planting mango seeds, all the stuff, and saying, God, I'm expecting the blessings. I'm expecting you to do the things that you want to do. But your life can't go in two directions. Jesus says, out of the same stream, you can't have good water and bad water. You can't have good water and bad water. So you have to choose today that you are going to make a decision for God, just as I do. And uh, 
Paul is very specific. So he's speaking once again. Let's look back at the analogy. He's speaking of sowing. He's looking at the guy there out there digging the ground and putting his seeds in. And he's pondering the thought and he's saying, I need to tell the Galatian church that it matters what you plant. Because if you want to grow a certain thing in your life, you better plant the seeds that are going to grow that. You can't expect things. And uh, this is something that God just uh, started to speak to me. And he said, you know, you can't expect your children, your, uh, your, your, in my case, my daughter. If I don't put the seeds in, the seeds of God, I can't expect an outcome that's going to be a godly outcome. If I don't prioritize in my life the things of God, I can't expect my children to follow in them. And then one day I will sit back and I will say, but why have they gone this way or that? And I'm not saying that's the only reason God is the perfect parent and yet Adam and Eve made their own choices. But we have a responsibility, the responsibility to plant well. Now sometimes you will plant and you will reap the harvest in your own life. You will see it in your own eyes. For instance, if you put paddy, you'll get it within a year, right? But there are some times you will plant for the future. You will plant and somebody else will reap. And there are times in your life where you will plant well and you might never see the outcome, but somebody else will reap the outcome. You see, we have to understand that the seeds we are planting are seeds of value. And that's what Paul is speaking to the Galatian church. He's saying, as I look out and see the man planting his seeds, I want to remind you that the seeds you're planting today are going to bear fruit tomorrow. They're going to bear fruit somewhere in your life. So choose carefully what seeds you plant. And he expounds this further in the next verse, verse 8. And um, verse 8 says this. I'll try and bring it up if I have it. Galatians chapter and verse 8. Yes. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will leave, reap eternal life. And he's giving very clearly two parts, two choices that we make. And I'll tell you, it's not easy. It's an everyday choice. I'll tell you as a pastor, and I'm sure that you can agree as well. It's an everyday choice on the seeds that you will plant. And you have to make that choice. And you know, sometimes we think, well, oh God, why, 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 why do you make life so hard? Jesus never said life was going to be easy. He never said that life was going to be easy. He said, in this world, you will have trouble of many types, right? But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And you know, sometimes you think, oh, God, why is this happening? Why is that happening? It's challenging, you know, to go through this situation. But Jesus was very specific when he said that, um, you know, in Matthew, he said, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. 
But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few enter through it. And he's saying the road to God is not easy. There is a, it's a rocky road. It's a difficult path. And you might ask, why? God, it's so easy to have this broad road. Don't you want everyone to come to salvation? You see, on a broad road, everyone goes together whether they want to or not. Right? You don't get to turn around. You just get pulled along. Um, I remember being in India a couple of years ago and getting on the train in India. And that was an experience that has never left my life. How many have gone on the train in India? Yeah? Okay? You don't need to worry to get onto the train. You just stand there on the platform and you will be on the train. Because when the train comes, the doors open, people just get thrown out because there's so many people. So you stand by the door, you get thrown out, right? You stand by the door and you get thrown in, right? And God doesn't want nobody to be get thrown in. He wants you to make a choice to come in. So he gives you a narrow door and that door is Jesus. And when you make that choice for Jesus, you enter the path that he has chosen. So don't be like the train on India, in India, right? Don't stand in the way and say, God, I'm just here, just push me in. God ain't going to do that. He wants you to make the choice. But the road we travel on is a tough road. And that road causes us to every day ask ourselves the question, why am I on this road? Do you ask yourself the question? Why have I made the choice for Jesus? If you aren't, the possibility is that you're just going with the flow. That Christianity has become a ritual. That Christianity has become something that I do. You know, I often say this, that, um, you know, we, we, we look at mainline churches, churches and we sometimes say, oh, you know what, they're very structured. They have everything set out. They, 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 they all, you know, have prayers that you, everybody knows what to pray and everybody will pray together. Friends, we are the mainline church of today. We have it all structured. We know exactly when the announcements are coming. We know exactly what time the service will finish. We know exactly what time the offering is there. So we have no expectation of God. So when someone comes and says, there's prayer meeting on, uh, on the week, that's for somebody else. God bless the three who pray. The three who prayed have done an amazing work for you because in the last week, God has challenged that if the church doesn't wake up, God is going to bypass the church. And if you and I don't see value in that and get in on what God is doing, you will be bypassed. Because God is looking for a people who are willing to put him first. I was uh, listening to a, uh, an audible book by John Bevere called The Awe of God. Has anyone read it? No? Okay. Awesome book. I highly recommend it. And um, he talks of how he went into a conference in Brazil and he was there to be the guest speaker. He said there were 
some 20,000 people in the audience. It was a massive conference. And he said when he went in, there was a band on stage that was so powerful. There was just this wonderful worship that was going on. And he said he felt the most strange thing that he didn't feel the presence of God. And he just asked the Holy Spirit, why can't I feel your presence here? And the Holy Spirit said, look around. And as he looked around, he saw people in the worship. The worship was going on. They were like this. And he saw others with their phones, clicking their phones and scrolling. And he saw others standing at the back and drinking their coffees. And the Holy Spirit told him, they have lost the awe of God. They have lost that intimacy with God. They have lost and become indifferent to God. So God is just another person out there. God is just another answer to my next prayer. And he said to him, you need to go to the platform and confront it. Because my presence won't come into this place until you confront it. And he said he came up to the platform and he didn't know what to do. He just stared at everyone. And he said he just stood there and he stared and he stared. And he said when everyone, just, you know, the, the, you can hear the silence in a room. Yeah. And he says everyone just looked at him. And he said, God is speaking today. God says, come back to the awe of God. Come back to the reverence of God. And he said he's preached for 90 minutes there on that. And he said when he finished, he just said, how many of you have God spoken to and how many of you have God touched? And he said 75% of these as a conference where people had come to hear from God and were distracted. 75% of the people stood up. And he said, there was no need for a prayer of repentance because the presence of God just flowed into that place. He said it was so powerful. And he said, three times the presence of God just fell in that place. And he said, the third time God said, I'm going to do something. And he says, in that time, there was like a whistle of the wind coming through. And when it did, it was like something, there was no wind but there was this high-pitched whistle of wind. And I said, when that happened, people were just slain in the spirit because they recognized the presence of God. And friends, don't be distracted by other things today. Don't be distracted by your phones, your coffees, your, uh, you know, what am I going to do for lunch today? That is an irreverence to the glory of God. That is an irreverence to the glory of God. And if you come into the presence of God and that is what you are doing, you are saying, God, I'm bored of you. I have no need of you. I am here because this is what I have to do on a Sunday. Friends, God is challenging us today that the church is going to have to give account because he will bypass us if we don't respond. We have to take God seriously. And I'm telling you when we do, it's a tough message. But I'll speak it because it's from God. And if we don't take heed, 
I mean, look at it. It's sad, isn't it, that we can have half a congregation seated in a home on a Sunday, right? I'm sure there's valid reasons, and I don't discount that. But if you're seated there for just the fact that you couldn't be bothered to be in church on a Sunday morning, what you're doing is really you're putting God down the ladder. You're saying, God, you're not that valuable. Why is it that when needs come, our desire and need for God goes up? Why is it that when needs come, we are there at prayer meetings, we are there at you know, places where we can come and connect with God? God is saying, make it your everyday lifestyle. Because I am going to do a new thing, but unless the church is willing to rise up, it is not going to happen. So friends, Paul goes on and now he's challenged the church. He's challenged them. Don't be deceived. God is not, not mocked. You will uh, reap what you sow. Then he says you have two choices to sow. You can choose to sow for the flesh and to choose and, you know, uh, indulge the flesh. Or you can choose to sow for eternity. But then he ends with this statement in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And this is what I want to dwell on for just a couple of minutes today. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Can I ask you to say that last few words with me? If, if. I didn't hear the if. If we do not give up. You see, God is calling a people who are there for the long haul. Not short-term Christianity. And nobody else could write this like the Apostle Paul. If there was anyone who faced challenge and hardship, it was the Apostle Paul. Right? He was shipwrecked. He was thrown in prison. He was beaten. He was, you know, lowered down in a basket from a wall because they were trying to kill him. And with all this, he says, keep holding on. Keep holding on because the reward comes from holding on. So I'm going to give you three thoughts this morning and um, let's go there. The first is, Push through the times of weariness. Push through the times of weariness. And weariness will come. There will be times where we feel so exhausted. Isn't it the, the word of today? I am exhausted. Yeah? How many of you said it in the last week? <laughs> right? I'm sure you would have said it in the last week. Somebody. I'm so stressed. I'm tired. I'm tired. I just don't have anything more in me to give. I don't think I can keep going. You know, this job, it's too stressful. Okay, I can't give any more. So demanding. Those are the words, isn't it, of today? 
Those are the words we feel, weariness. But you know that happens in Christianity too? Where we feel, oh, the church is too demanding. It wants us to come to this and that and the other. So I will cut it down. I will choose. I am so tired of doing this and doing this and doing this and believing and nothing's happening. I am so weary. I am exhausted. God, I am weary. Jesus says, come unto me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So where are we going when we are weary? We are going to everything else. God, I'm so tired. I'm going to put the TV on, and I'm going to just click the channels. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm watching. But you know what? It's brain-numbing. Put it in the last week. I probably did, right? Where you're sometimes just so weary. But Jesus encourages us to find strength in him in weariness. When you're feeling weary, he says, come to him. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 2 says this. He says, therefore since, and therefore since is talking of Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter on faith, where it's talking of all these people who started sowing seeds, not for now, Abraham, it says that he received a promise, but he never saw the promise. It was all in eternity. And he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people who have actually sown seeds, and not even seen the realization of that. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And I want to challenge you that perseverance is the way to deal with weariness. When we have weariness coming in our lives, we need to persevere. Persevere is to push through, right? It's a place where we say, God, I feel drained, but I'm pushing through. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you're in a place of weariness right now. Maybe you've been praying for something right uh, in the season that you are in. Maybe you're in a place where you're saying, God, I'm not seeing it happen. And God is saying, push through. Push through this evening, uh, this morning. Don't give up. The second thought I want to leave with you is trust in God's timing. Right? What's he saying? He says in verse uh, 9, right? Let's read again. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So trust in God's timing. You know, God is not a reactor. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's not like, oh, see what Andrew did. Now I've got to change the whole plan because of what he did. Right? If only he didn't do that. God knew all along. God is a planner, not a reactor. God has planned and purposed, and you and I need to trust in his timing. And sometimes we might beat ourselves up 
and say, God, the timing isn't right. God, this is the opportunity. Now is the time. But Paul is encouraging the Galatian Christians as he's looking out his analogy of sowing. You can't force something to grow out of its time. You take something that will only grow in summer or in spring, you put it down in the soil in winter, it will die. Because it has a season in which it will grow. And there are seasons in our life where God has purpose to do things. And we don't understand the timing and we want to give up. Understanding God's timing is a very important thing for us. Guru, um, read from Exodus chapter 15. And it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. And the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, uh, uh, sorry, uh, for them, and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep his, all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who leads you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. You see, God is comparing or contrasting two places. The place of Mara and the place of Elim. You see, the place of Mara was a place of bitterness. It was a place of, you know, I can't drink this water and I am going to be angry with God. And you know, the people absorbed the bitterness, though they didn't drink the water. They absorbed the bitterness into their spirit and they started to complain. And I just, uh, as I was reading this, felt God say to the church of today, that's you and I, that we are drinking the bitterness around us. And we are stuck in a place and we are saying, God, change this place. Do it now. Do it now. God, do something. The place of Mara was a place of bitterness. It was not the place where God wanted them to camp. It was not where God wanted them to be. And it's amazing because if you read as we did in the first verse that we read there, this was just three days after seeing the waters part of the Red Sea. Three days! Not three months, not three years, they were there 40 years, so not 30 years, three days. Three days ago, they saw the most glorious miracle that even today inspires us. 
and they walked through in the provision of God. But when they came three days later to a place that was difficult, they threw their arms up and said, why did you bring us out of here? God, why have you done this? God, what is this? And God is saying, push through. Push through. Because Elim lies ahead. Elim is the place where I have prepared the springs. Where I have prepared the palm trees for your covering. But you want it now. And God in his mercy gave it to them now. And friends, some of us are going and we are begging and we are determined and we are saying, God, now, 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 now. Like the child who won't stop. You know, the child who gets the tantrum. Have you seen the child? I mean, I'm not saying that it's any of your children, but sometimes you walk in the, in the supermarket and you find the child rolling on the floor. Now! And we are sometimes like that. We are like, God, now, now. Not tomorrow, now. And God is saying, push through. Because Elim lies ahead. And friends, to many of us, we have got stuck at Mara. The place of bitterness, the place of complaining, the place of grumbling, the place of God, I want you to go now. And God didn't want them to settle there. He wanted them to keep moving. And today, maybe you're stuck in Mara. Maybe you're stuck in that place where bitterness has grabbed a hold of you. But I want to tell you that the harvest awaits those who don't quit. Those who are willing to push through. And where you are in your journey, I don't know what it might be. But maybe God is speaking to you today and saying, don't quit. Push through. Don't quit. Push through. Keep going. Because Elim lies ahead.